Well, if you haven't already done so, let me encourage you to open your Bibles to the book of James, chapter 1. It's towards the end of your Bibles, going backwards, Revelation, Jude, 1st, 2nd through John, 1st, 2nd Peter, and then into, into the book of James. And as you're turning, I, I was reminded this week of, of uh, one of the parables that Jesus told coming out of Matthew chapter 21. It, the, Jesus said, Matthew 20, 21, verse 28, he said, there was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard. And the son said, I will not. And then later he changed his mind and went. And then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He, the son answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. And then Jesus asked the telling question. In verse 31, he says, which of the two sons did what his father wanted? And the answer is the first one. Now, if you only knew of the words, if you didn't know of the rest of the story, if you only heard the interaction between the father and the first and second son, you, you, you would have thought that the, it was the second son who came off looking rather good. He was respectful of his father's wishes. He was kind in his, in his response. He honored him. I mean, we, we, if we had just heard that, we probably would have said, what, what, a, what a good boy. What a good boy. But he was far. I mean, honestly, he was far from what his father wanted. And that's why it's important always to know the whole story. Because in the end, it was the first son who at the beginning sounded really off, but at the end, he was the one who actually did what his father wanted. He did the right thing. He said he, said he wouldn't, but he ended up going and working in the father's field, doing the bidding. He was obedient. He was righteous. Listen, friends, actions are important. Would you, would you agree with that this morning? Actions are important. It's not what you say that will, that will serve as the final word on your life. It's what you actually do. Because here's the bottom line. God has never been impressed with good, good intentions. That, that was the word of God to the Israelites. The prophet cried out to the Israelites on God's behalf in Isaiah chapter 29. He says, the, the, this is God speaking to Isaiah. He said, these people come near to me with their mouths. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. The, the Israelites have spent years, hundreds of years at this point, telling God, we love you, we love you, we love you. But God told them it was hardly the case. What they did was indicative of how they felt. And their actions spoke loudly. Their actions said they loved other gods. Their actions said they loved themselves. It was, it was anything but God. I mean, if there was anything left over, then the Israelites were okay with that. They, they went through some motions. They, they kind of tromped through some motions. But in the end... The words were shallow. They, they were meaningless. And it broke God's heart. And this is where James is turning next. Their actions are important. They speak louder than words. Living as the people of God, living a life that brings honor and glory 
to God, living rightly, living righteously. That's where James is turning in chapter one at the end of the chapter. And to do that, James puts some words in front of us that we ought to memorize. In fact, I would encourage you, if you have your Bibles, to underline verse 22. They they ought to occupy a prominent space in your life. Write them out. Put them on the refrigerator. Put them on, your, put them on the vanity above your sink. Put, put on, the, on the mirror. Put them someplace where you see them every day. Read them, memorize, meditate on them. James says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. James is a practical book. He's all about, he's all about putting feet on the Christian walk, helping us live. And that's what this little nine-verse section at the end of chapter one is really all about. James is giving us two specific steps to take. If you want to live righteously, then you've got to do these two things. And the first one is, you got to open up your ears. Righteous living begins with having open ears. You have got to listen. Many, 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 many times in the ministry of Jesus, he ended a teaching session with some ominous words, like in Matthew eleven fifteen, He said, he who has ears, let him hear. Now, he's looking at a group of people who all have ears, but he was not being fooled to think that everybody who was listening was actually listening. It wasn't something that Jesus said just one time. I mean, the reality is that this, this phrase came up over and over in the Gospels. In Mark chapter 4, 3 through 8, Jesus is teaching about the farmer who went out to throw seed. And as he's throwing seed, Jesus talks about the different kinds of ground that it felt on. Some felt on that path. It was hard and it was, it was just trampled down. The seed never penetrated. The birds of the air just came and they, they, they took it up. Others fell upon, upon ground that had rocks or stones in it. And, and because of that, the, the roots were never able to go deep into it. And so, so what ended up happening is, is, is without deep roots, the sun would come and it would and literally burn out. those plants that were growing. Some fell among thorns, thistles, weeds, and the weeds grew up and choked out the plants. And some of the seed fell on good ground. And when it did, it produced a harvest, 30, 60, 100 fold. Jesus was encouraging his listeners that our lives should be good soil, that God's word would be planted in us and allowed to go deep so that it rooted and it produces a huge crop. And then Jesus ended with these words. Chapter 4, verse 9, Mark. Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Luke chapter 14, Jesus spoke on the topic of following him. And the words here are strong. I mean, Jesus says in Luke chapter, in Luke chapter 14 that if we are going to follow Jesus, then everything else needs to be put on the back burner. Jesus said your relationships, your mother, your father, everything is less important than than God in your life. Jesus says, follow me. And then he said, take up your cross. In other words, kill yourself, put yourself to death. Even your own wants, your own desires come in second place to me. If you're going to follow me, then follow me. And then Jesus tells two parables where he says, you got to count the cost. The king going out to war, where he's going to survey the army that's coming against him. He's going, to, he's going to say, do I have enough to defeat what's coming against me? If not, I'm going to try to seek a truce. He's going to count the cost. Before a guy builds a building, he's going to do the exact same thing. He's going to say, how much is it going to cost? And, and he's going to lay it out to find out if he has enough money. Nobody wants to build a building halfway and run out of funds. Jesus says, count the cost. 
Before you jump on the idea of saying, I'm going to follow you, Jesus, count the cost. And then he ends with those ominous words. Luke chapter 14, 35. He was ears to hear. Let him hear. Why was Jesus so pointed with his followers? I mean, seriously. You hear these statements, and I mean, for a lot of people, the question is, where's the grace? Where's that acceptance of me? You know, kind of like the old hymn says, just as I am. Well, the truth is God does accept you just as you are, right where you are. But his goal was to never leave you there. God moves into your life. He cleans you up. He takes your sin. He washes it away. He forgives it. He throws your sin as far as the east is from the west. Which, by the way, friends, that's pretty good news. Wouldn't you agree with that? When I come to Christ, my sin disappears. God says he throws it into the depths of the sea. He will remember it no more. And he endows you with the Holy Spirit to enable you to be the person he's called you to be, to have the character, to have the emotion, to have the love, to have the passion that he wants you to have. All so you can be the person to do the things that God wants you to do. And in the process, he makes sure you understand an incredibly important principle. And here it is. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Would you say it with me? Jesus is Lord. Lord, would you say it with me again? Jesus is Lord. Now, in case, you're, in case you're confused here, let me just put it out there plainly. The word Lord means boss, means master. It means owner. When you come to Jesus, you accept him. Yes, he's your savior. He saved you from sin. He saved you from hell. He saved you from eternal damnation. I mean, praise God for that. But as much as he is savior, he is also Lord, which means he's boss, He directs our lives. And listen, in case you're confused here, this is not either or, it's both and. In fact, for every time that Jesus is called Savior in the New Testament, he's called Lord 10 times. Because I think we get this confused. I love you, Jesus. Thank you for saving me so I can go do what I want. No. Jesus is our Savior and he is our Lord. Christians are people who align their lives under the will of Jesus, their Lord. Their goal is to live lives that are well-pleasing to him. And here's the deal. God is the one who gets to define what is well-pleasing. That's not my goal. That's, That's not my job to define. God has defined it. And it raises another important question. How do I know that I'm truly following the will of God? How do I know? And the answer is really simple. You you find the will of God in one place, and that would be the Bible. The Bible is our source of truth. God very carefully transmitted his word to us. He literally chose some very specific people, and he breathed through them. He inspired them to write down his words. And then he preserved all of that down through the ages. One of the things that we're going to talk about in our foundations class is the Bible, how we got it, how we know it's really the word of God, how we know it's accurate to what was really written. One of the amazing things about the Bible is that God very, very, very carefully protected it and brought it to us after all these years. And the reason is because it's clear that it is the unadulterated heart, mind, and will of God. 
The people of God are the people of God's Word. And it leads to two important principles. First, God wants you immersed in His Word. Psalm chapter 1, the very first psalm begins with these these words. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. He does not stand in the way of sinners. He does not sit in the seat of mockers. Notice the progression here. Walking, standing, sitting. It's a life that is kind of taking something in casually to getting more pointed and serious about listening, to sitting down and taking it in. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. He does not stand in the way of sinners. He does not sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, in God's Word. And on, his, and on God's Word, on His law, He meditates day and night. God, God clearly says that His expectation of us is that we are removed from the thinking and the philosophies of the world. We are here to influence the world, but we are not here to be influenced by the world. You hear that? I, I'm not here to, to, to take in what everybody else wants to tell me about how they think. I, I am he, not here to, to walk, to stand, to sit in the way of people who are going to teach me things that are in error to what God would say. We will refuse to be influenced by the world. We will be the people who are immersed in the Word of God. We will meditate on it day and night. God's Word alone is our guiding light. That's it. And with that truth firmly planted in our minds, then the psalmist goes on in verse 3. He said, when you live like that, when you are, when you are delighting in the law of the Lord, and on that law you're meditating day and night, and you're like a tree planted by a stream of water. It yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. I mean, I, I love this. Not withering, prosperous, fruitful, pleasing to God, standing, perser- persevering, preserving through life. You determine to allow God to guide your life, and here's the promise of God. You will flourish. Now, God's pointed here. He wants you to dedicate your mind and your heart to Him. He wants you to be influenced by His Word and His Word alone. He wants you to carefully follow after it. God wants you immersed in His Word. And then there's a second principle that goes deeper. Not only immersed, but craving. The call of Scripture is that we would crave God's Word. Psalm 42.1, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants, longs for you. Oh God, I mean, we sang this chorus just a few moments ago. It was written many, many, many years ago. It, the, the modern chorus, the original chorus was written like 3,000 years ago. I, 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 I love the words. And I love the word Pant. The Hebrew word here is arag. It has the connotation of a craving, but, but also kind of a beyond this is like a lusting. Not all lusting is bad. Lusting after the right things is good. It's the way God wants us to feel about His Word, that we crave it, that we've got to have it. John chapter 6, Jesus had a, a pretty difficult day. The chapter opens, he, he fed the 5,000 people. And when you see 5,000 in, in Scripture here, what I want you to th- think is probably really like four times that much. Because in Jewish circles, they were counting men. 
So if there were 5,000 men, there were probably 5,000 women. And if there were 5,000 men and women, there were probably 10,000 kids that were running around. This, cr this crowd probably had like 20,000 people sitting on the side of this hill on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. A crowd. They were there to listen to the words of Jesus. He taught them. And then as the day was wearing on, these people had nothing to eat, so he fed them. He found a, uh, there was a young boy with a couple of loaves of bread and a couple of sardines, and Jesus fed them. The next morning, the crowd got up and started looking for Jesus. Now, Jesus had put the disciples in a boat to go across the Sea of Galilee. He went up in the hills to pray in the middle of the night. This is when Jesus then walked out on the water, remember? He walked out on the water. Peter saying, can I join you? Jesus, they, they get into the boat. They go to the other side, to the west side of the Sea of Galilee. And, and then the crowd wakes up the next morning and they're looking for Jesus and they can't find him. So what they do is they go looking and it says that they, they walked all the way around. And while we call this the Sea of Galilee, it's really the Lake of Galilee. They walked from the east side around the northern tip and then down, down to where Jesus was on, on the west side. And when they got to Jesus, Jesus invited them to faith. He said, put your trust in me. Follow me. Be my disciples. Amazingly, the response of the crowd was to ask him, what, what miracle are you going to do to prove to us that you're really who you claim to be and that we should be following you? Like feeding 20,000 people the day before wasn't enough. Jesus said there would be no more miracles. There's not going to be no more healings, no more free lunch. It's not happening here. What, what Jesus said to them is you just simply need to obey me. Follow me, obey me, eat my words. I am the bread of life. You want something to eat? Eat this. I'm God, follow me. Amazingly, the crowd turned away. They walked away. And maybe even more amazing, Jesus let them go. This huge crowd of people that was held captive by him one moment is suddenly turning around and walking away and Jesus just watches them go. And as they're, as they're going, Jesus turns to the disciples. And he said, you want to leave too? Are you going are you to go? See, see, the deal here, friends, is there's just no compromise. You're going to follow Jesus. You accept who he is. You put him on the throne. You follow him. It's his word. And Peter re replied in, in Matt, John chapter 6, verse 68, he said, he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You're the one. You, you have the words of eternal life. We believe and we know that you're the Holy One of God. Peter was right. Jesus was the Holy One of God. He was God. And his words were truth and life. And they, they, they were meant to be followed. And I'm just telling you, friends, we are wise when we come to the same conclusion Peter did and the rest of the disciples, and we, we put them as the focal point of our lives. That we desire. That we're immersed. That we lust after them. And that's exactly where James Chapter 1, verses 9 through 27 is picking up. The call is for all of us to live after God, after Jesus' fashion, to live righteously. And, it, and if you're going to do that, it begins with knowing His Word, listening to it. And to, to help us here, James, in just rapid fashion, just lays down these three commands that, that he tells us we, we need to implement into our lives. If you're going to be righteous, then, then take these three steps. First of all, be quick to listen. Quick. Quick to listen, 
James 1.19. We're not only to pant for God's Word, we are to be quick in our attentiveness to it. The word here, takas, literally means speedy, swift, quick. Picture that comes to my mind comes out of, the, out of the military, a platoon of guys that are maybe in the mess hall or they're maybe in their barracks and they're, you know, it's kind of some downtime and they're talking amongst themselves and kind of carrying on a little bit and, you know, kind of going back and forth. And all of a sudden, a superior officer walks, in, walks into the room, walks into the mess hall, walks into the barrack. And, and all of a sudden, these guys are, I mean, without even, without even a moment's hesitation, these guys are on their feet, hands at their side, heels together head up, standing at attention, focused. I mean, I mean it, ha- it happens this fast. The, the authority walks in, boom, speedy, quick. Whatever, whatever was going on, the, the, the second before, put out. Attention is placed solely on the officer. The men are quick to respond, sir. Yes, sir. And God is the same way. He wants our attention to him to be quick, to be speedy, to be looking for his arrival, to have our ears focused to his word, quick to listen. And then, and then James adds two other thoughts. As much as you are to be quick to listen, you should also be slow to speak. James 1.19. The word slow is bradas. It can be understood as the exact opposite of quick. As you would be quick, speedy, off the line, like, a, like a, at a gunshot, like a sprinter, off the line quickly to run towards Jesus' words. You, you would want to be slow to open your mouth. The word carries the idea of being dull. Dull is in not sharp kind of dense. We, we, we all know that words can sting. And when we toss them around, they, they can do considerable amounts of damage. We, we, we all need to carefully evaluate the words that are ready to come out of our mouth. And bef- before they ever come out of our mouth, we ought to be biting our tongue and asking the, the all-important question, is what I'm getting ready to say going to be accurate or going to be true or going to be what God would want me to say? And while all of that is very true about this word, about being slow to speak, when we come to this passage, I think James is, 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 is adding another kind of thought to it. His encouragement is to be very slow in the way you make pronouncements, in the way you make statements about truth. Now, I, I'm just being unveiled here and honest with you, friends, but one of the things that I'm growing more and more concerned about in the world, in the church, is biblical illiteracy. We, we, we live in a postmodern world where people have grown up outside of the influence of the Bible. 50 years ago, people kind of grew up and they were going to church for the vast majority, for the most part. Today, not so. And the world is, is now the people who were propagating the truth. 50, 60, 70 years ago, it was when we believed in a God and we believed that God was true. We believed that the Bible was his word and we believed it should be the thing that we hold up and hold us true. Not, not so anymore. There's all this other thinking and all this thought out there about morality and truth. And the crazy thing is all of that out there is, is seeping into the church 
Today, the thinking of the world has weaved itself into the fabric of the thinking of a whole lot of Christians. We've grown to believe, like the world, that wrong is right and right is wrong. We're completely on our heads. Today, there there are people in the church who are turning truth on its head. My home church in California, the pastor there, Gene, did a message a couple of months back on homosexuality. And he's being called radical because he pulled out the Bible and said, this is what God says about this topic. And now going all through Orange County, California, is that this church is radical in its beliefs. It's kind of like, as he is saying what God says about this topic of homosexuality, it's like the world is rising up and saying, how dare he say that? It's hateful. It's mean. And see, the problem is that the world teaches that homosexuality is just fine. How could it be bad? It's just simply two people loving each other. What what is so wrong with that? And amazingly, that thinking is creeping into the church. How could could homosexuality be bad? Let me tell you why it could be bad. It could be bad because God says so. It goes against the teaching of the Bible, clearly. People who are trying to make the Bible say this are people that are rewriting God's Word to make it say what they want it to say. And don't think that the Bible stops there. The Bible has a lot to say about sexual sin. We want to take this one, but here's the deal. Homosexuality is wrong. Fornication is wrong. That's that's sex before marriage. Adultery is wrong. That'd be sex outside of your marriage relationship. Lusting is wrong. Pornography is wrong. There are a whole list of things that God says are wrong. Here's what God says about sex. It should be only between a man and a woman within the confines of a marriage relationship only. Only. But today there are people making their pronouncements. Hey, as long as you love somebody, what, what, what's the big deal? Hey, I'm not, the two of us are not hurting anybody. We're not hurting you. How, how could this be bad? In fact, if you teach it's wrong, then there's a whole group of people who are going to say that there's something wrong with you. What James is saying here is that before you go and make a pronouncement of any kind, you need to slow down. You need to always make sure that your words are in line with the truth of God. Be quick to listen, slow to speak. See, friends, God's called us to a righteous life. And righteousness begins with having open ears to the truth of God. Be quick to hear it. Desire it, lust after it, immerse yourself in it. Be quick to allow it to come in. Pant for it. And then be slow to speak. And then James adds one more thought. Be slow to anger. James 1.19, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Now here's my question. How many Christians have this completely backwards? They're slow to listen, but they're quick to speak and quick to pronounce judgment, and they're quick to get angry. When someone disagrees with us, when someone stands outside of what we, what we want to say, boom, we're mad. I'm just, I'm just telling you, as a pastor, I've watched all kinds of people walk out of the church because they've got angry about something that they have declared to be true, 
They haven't taken the time to sit down and listen to what God's word says. They've pronounced something to be up, down, in, out, right, wrong. And then if somebody disagrees with it, I'm out of here. And they're angry about it. And sometimes the things that people get angry about are ridiculous. I mean, ridiculous. Back in 1994, there was a couple in the church I was leading who had decided to leave the church. Why? Because I was preaching out of the NIV Bible. Now, in case you're new here and you're wondering what, what, what translation this is on the screens, it's the NIV. And the, re- the reason is simply this, because my New Testament professor in seminary was on the translating committee of the NIV Bible. And I hold Lewis Foster in that kind of esteem. He just died a couple of years ago. And so f- the, the, the moment that this was made available, I started, I, started, I, p- I picked it up and I, I've been reading it out of this translation ever since. But this couple is in my office and they're mad. They're mad because I'm reading this because what, what they're saying is there's only one authorized version and that's the King James Version. And anybody who's not preaching out of the King James Version is just going straight to hell. And to their credit, they made an appointment. They came into my office. They sat down. They talked to me. And what I found is that they were not only passionate about their belief, they were angry. They sat in my office and they read me the riot act. In their opinion, I was literally leading people astray because of the translation of the Bible that I was reading. Their big argument, listen to this. This was the big argument. The King James Bible was good enough for Jesus. It ought to be good enough for you. Now, in case you're sitting here going, well, what's, what's wrong with that statement? <laughs> Let me tell you. I mean, because literally, as they're making it, I, I, I was wanting to laugh and, and thankfully, I bit my tongue, be slow to speak. You know, I bit my tongue because right at that moment, my laughter was not going to help this. I, I, I finally did say to them, you're serious, right? I mean, really, the King James Bible was good enough for Jesus? Because here's the deal. Jesus did not read the King James Bible. You know that, right? Jesus had one Bible, and it wasn't the King James. He had one Bible. It was the Old Testament, and it was written in Hebrew, The King James Bible was translated in 1611, 1,600 years after Jesus died, left the planet. The New Testament didn't even exist when Jesus was. Jesus read the Hebrew. If you really want to read the Bible that Jesus read, then you need to go back and learn Hebrew. And as I was saying this to him, it just made them matter. They got up, they stomped out, and they never They never darken the doors of that evil, wicked church listening to that evil, wicked pastor again. And friends, I'm just saying, this is exactly what James is talking about here. Before I start spouting truth, before I allow myself to get angry and go crazy about the truth I hold to, I better slow down and make sure that the things that I am claiming to be true are actually true. I better slow down and carefully listen to the truth of God. I better make sure that the truth I hold to, that the truth I'm speaking is actually the truth of God. And if it's not, throw it out. Now, listen, I I don't want to be glib here. I I, I, I don't want to come off just kind of short-tempered here. I I, 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 I don't intend to do that. But listen, quite frankly, we all need to put this thought into our heads. And here it is. What I think, or what you think, is really not all that important. In fact, truthfully, I don't care what you think. Now, take that in the love in which it's said, all right? 
Here's what I really care about. What I really care about is what God thinks. Is there some agreement with that this morning? I care about what God says, what God thinks. His word is what I want to listen to. Everything you hold to be true in this life needs to be measured against the truth of God, the Bible, the truth, the Bible. Only be quick to hear it. Be quick to allow it to come in. Absorb it. Slow down in your pronouncements about what you think it is saying. Really, how many Christians have said, you know, someplace in the Bible it says, and I'll I'll hand them my Bible and I'll say, show me where it says that. Well, someplace, and here's the deal, it doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't say that. Before we start declaring what God has said, don't you think we ought to know what God said? Come on, church, amen, yes? If we're going to live the kind of life that God wants us to live, it begins with listening. Actively listening to the truth of God. Our, Our world's in a big hurt because we've missed this point. And until we come back to God and listen to His truth, His Word, we will continue to be a mess. If you want to live righteously, I'm just telling you, if you want to be pleasing to God, you need to be a person who is quick to hear. And then James adds a second thought. Righteousness begins with listening. And it demands a change in lifestyle. Righteousness demands obedience to the truth of God's word. I listen to it. I obey. One of the things my dad was famous for saying when I was growing up was, when I tell you to jump, I want you to, I want you to ask me how high on the way up. His expectation was not only that I would be quick to listen, but that I would be just as quick to obedience. I'm already moving. And honestly, friends, it's exactly what God expects of us. God God wants us digging into His Word, listening to His voice. Next, the expectation is doesn't end with reading. It simultaneously involves involves obedience. And as I was putting these notes together this last week, I I always give them to Brenda to read over, and she put in this word simultaneously, and she's so right. See, what we want to do is we want to read, and then we want to soak on it for a while to decide what we think about it. But that's not what God's Word teaches. God's Word teaches that when He speaks, we obey. And so as we are reading and we're getting to the truth simultaneously, we're taking the immediate step of altering how we think, altering how we act, altering how we speak, altering what we do. Simultaneously, like immediately. Now here's the truth. In God's mind, listening and obeying go hand in hand. True believers are much more than listeners. God's not interested in lip service. God's grieved when our lives do not line up with His will and with His purpose. It grieves Him. He wants us reading, wants us hearing, wants us learning. Now, parents, parents, honestly, you get this. You get it. How many parents are pulling out their hair, yelling at their kids, Would you listen to me? Am I the only one that ever said that? And I'm telling you, my mom said it to me a lot. I always said that my mom's gray roots were all my fault. You know what I mean? Would you listen to me? Now, parents, when you say that, what what, what are you saying? Do you really honestly think that your kids didn't hear you? No, they heard you. What you're upset about is the inaction. Would you listen to me means would you do what I'm telling you to do? 
simultaneously responding to the word and putting the word into action in your life. It's the point James makes clearly. Righteous living is all about hearing God's word and then taking the next step. James 1.21, humbly accept the word that has been planted into you, which can save you. Accept it. The word here is actually receive it. It's like a present. Somebody can bring you a present and give it to you. you. It can hit your hands and you can just stand there. To receive it means you actually open it and you take it in. You make it yours. You change from one place to another. You, you, you receive it. It takes a humble person to do that. I mean, if you're going to be this kind of person, you literally have to, you have to scrape yourself off the throne. I, I don't sit here anymore. This is, the throne of my life is, is, is owned by God. He sits, he sits in the seat of authority, and he's going to have the ability to take me to where he wants me to go. To not, to not include this kind of behavior is, is missing it. James, James goes on in verse 22. Humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you and do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Friends, there are way too many Christians that are deceived. They're deceived to think that they're Christians. They come in, they, 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 they sit, they give God the hour, they, they sort of kind of listen and, and then they're out the door to do whatever they want to do and it's never what God intended. And to help you understand, James puts an interesting illustration here. He says in verse 23, anyone who listens to the word but does not respond by action, does not do what it says, is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. This is Psalm 1 all over again. Now, here, here's, here's my question. When was the last time you found yourself looking in a mirror and primping? When's the last time? This morning, maybe? Do any, any of you get up and, you know, take a look in the mirror? Kind of look, maybe put, for me, it's helpful to take my glasses off, right? No, we, I mean, we want to get a good look. I mean, what, what do you do? I mean, there's a big zit right in the end of your nose. What do you do? You just go, oh, oh, well. No, you're going to try to pop it or cover it up or do something. For me, I have a small pair of scissors that are sharp, and they're my mustache scissors because I want my mustache to be just right. You know what I mean? I'll go after one hair, one hair, because I want it to be right. Right? For a bunch of you, you were combing your hair this morning. For me, that doesn't take very long, all right? I mean, honestly... But a bunch of you, I mean, you, you comb your hair and it's not right. It's more, you know, you're putting some goop in it. It's more. You want it to be, you want it to be a certain way. You look in the mirror. If it's not right, you don't like look in the mirror and go, eh, and then walk away. No, if it's not right, you go, oh, and you, you, you do something about it. You deal with it. And that's how God ought to be, wants you to be with his word. You read it. And then you, you take it to the mirror of your soul. You, you look in the mirror and you say, do I, do I match up with what I'm reading and if not, you make the appropriate changes simultaneously. I'm reading and obeying. I'm putting it to work. Not later, not next month, not, not four years from now. Now. 
What's out of place? What needs to change? What needs to be different? What new direction? And to help us here, James gives three very specific places where we ought to pay attention. First, he says in verse 21 that we ought to remove all moral filth from our lives. Remove it. Get rid of it. Paul says in Colossians 3 that we ought to kill it. It ought to be put to death. Now, the, the words here are not difficult to understand. We, we, if we're reading God's Word, we know what's up, we know what's down, we know what's right, we know what's wrong, we know what's in, we know what's out. And if we're reading it, we're saying that's the truth, and if it doesn't measure up, it's out. I'm just simply going to say it doesn't exist in my life anymore. It's simple obedience. We all, we, we, we all know those areas in our lives, and some of us have been messing with them for years. And the reason we're, we're messing with them is because we honestly haven't put it to death. It's got to die. Remove all moral filth. Don't hesitate. It's a call to purity. And secondly, James says, put a tight rein on your tongue. James 1.26, if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself. His religion is worthless. Oh, I know, my mouth just runs. Oh, I know. I mean, we have a thousand excuses about why it is the way it is. But, but, but the truth is our mouths can be a world of hurt. Now, James is going to talk about this a lot in chapter 3, and, and so I'm not going to get into it here, but I'm just telling you, friends, lies and gossiping and anger and the, the, the perversion and the amount of junk that comes out of our mouths, the amount of destruction that is leveled by this little tiny thing is horrendous. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 34, out, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. You want to know what you're really like? You want to know what's really down here? Just record your words for a couple of hours and listen. That's your heart. Change. Can fresh water and bitter water come from the same fountain? No. If it's perverse, perverse, rotten, horrible, lousy, it's what it is. I need to hook up to a new well. I need to change now. And one more area James tells us that we need to be concerned about, and that's serving the marginalized. James says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. If, you, if you've read the Bible, then you know Old and New Testament has a lot to say on this topic. We, we are to serve the marginalized. We are to help the marginalized. We are to encourage the mar marginalized. Now, listen, this is not, this is not a promotion to socialism. It's not. The Bible really clearly teaches if you don't work, you don't eat. Nobody should be able to get a free lunch. But there are people in our circles that have no power and have no ability. And somebody needs to rise up and help them. Widows, orphans would be among them. And God calls us to look after them. The first deacons in the Bible in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 6, 
that all came into existence, the first deacons, because there were widows in the church that were being overlooked, and it was causing a, a lot of problems. And so a deacon ministry rose up to take, to take that on. And friends, if you really want to know if you're walking in God's feet, then you've got to ask yourself, am I helping those that are really down and out, the marginalized, like the widows and the orphans? You, you, you want to live a life that's pleasing to God? Then it really is this simple. Listen to His Word. Take it in. Listen. And simultaneously determine to be a person who's going to act. I hear what God says. I see what God wants to do. And here's how I'm going to change. Listen. Obey. It's the life of righteousness. It's what God has called us to. Bow your heads. Would you do that? And friends, let me just ask you, does it describe you? Are you a hearer of God's word? Are you a doer of God's word? Are you a person who's quick to listen, quick to act, quick to respond? without pointing fingers at other people, without figuring what everybody else needs to do, friends, what God wants to happen right now is for you to look into the window of your soul and make a determination. Are you the person that God wants you to be? Are you listening? Are you obeying? And Father, I know following you begins right with that determination. And so, Father, I pray that you'll help me to be that person. Quick to hear, quick to obey. And, Father, as you speak to me through your word, may I trust that your heart and your plan is what is really best. Father, help all of us to make that determination even now and to commit to the things that you would have us do, the people you would have us be, the changes you would have us make. And Father, it's our prayer that you would encourage us with your blessing as we take those steps. Guide us, direct us, keep us, help us is our prayer in your son's name. And God's people said,